This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joining us is David Garrow. How are you doing, Mr. Garrow? It's great to be with you. David Garrow joining us on the podcast. He is author of Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. It's published by William Morrow. David Garrow's previous books include a Pulitzer Prize winner, a documentary of the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Garrow has regularly contributed to the Washington Post, the New York Times, and other publications. He's taught at many universities, most recently the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. I understand that you started working on this book back in 2008 when you first heard of Barack Obama. What prompted you to do it? When Barack Obama first won the Iowa caucuses uh, at the beginning of the 2008 presidential campaign, uh, I was a little embarrassed, uh, given how much I've written about race in America, that I basically knew nothing about him. Uh, So I started by uh, reading his 1995 uh, memoir, Dreams from My Father. But as I read the biographical journalism about him during that 2008 campaign, I got increasingly uh, disappointed by how uh, uh, lacking and and, uh, incurious it was. Um, And so soon after uh, his inauguration uh, in early 2009, I made the decision to go to Chicago uh, initially just to interview the community organizing mentors uh, with whom Obama had worked uh, as a young man, 1985 to 1988. And on literally my first day there, uh, one of those mentors, Greg Galuzzo, Uh, said to me, uh, oh, you should go see Marianne Wilson, the lawyer who incorporated uh, all their community groups, Uh, because tax lawyers uh, always uh, save their files. Uh, And so a morning or two later, uh, Miss Wilson, uh, you know, handed me this manila folder uh, with all these documents uh, typed by Barack himself in uh, 1986, 1987, uh, including a list of, of all the members of his community group uh, on the far south side of Chicago. Uh, so voila, I had uh, you know 45 or so people uh, to go to go hunting for, uh, only uh, three or four of whom uh, had ever been uh, located by journalists. Hmm. Now your book begins with an account of the economic downturn in uh, South Chicago starting in 1980 and how that impacted Obama's life when he became a community organizer. And if I could, just keep my own head straight here. Obama's born in 1961, right, out in Honolulu. Uh, yes. He's educated you know, in a school there and also in Indonesia. His mother had married a man from Indonesia after uh, she and uh, Barack Obama Sr. Uh, separated. Uh, then he's Obama's back to Honolulu, raised by his grandparents, goes to school there, a college in L.A. Uh, called Occidental, then Columbia. I know he worked uh, for NYPIRG for a while here in New York State, the Public Interest Research Group. But then he goes back to Chicago for community organizing. And that's what you begin the book with, and it sounds like you began your research uh, there. Why is that um, era or that economic downturn, what was happening in South Chicago, uh, important in Obama's life? Uh, Barack Obama arrives in Chicago for the first time in the summer of 1985, uh, 
hired to help build uh, community organizations uh, on the uh, almost all African-American uh, far south side. And the world into, into which he's uh, airdropped uh, at that time uh, is a set of neighborhoods uh, which over the previous uh, five years uh, had suffered uh, immense uh, uh, economic damage uh, because of the collapse of the steel industry uh, in southeast Chicago. Uh, the first big steel mill, uh, Wisconsin Steel, had closed uh, very suddenly, literally overnight uh, in March 1980, uh, throwing thousands of, of workers uh, out of their jobs. Uh, a second big mill, the U.S. Steel Southworks, uh, had been shrinking, uh, hemorrhaging thousands of jobs uh, in the early 80s. Uh, the third big mill, Republic LTV, was, was under uh, uh, great pressure, suffering big losses, too. So it's, it's essential uh, to, to understand the history of, of what's been going on there uh, before Barack arrives, why the job he's hired into exists. And then once Barack is there, uh, you know, doing uh, very tedious, difficult day-by-day uh, -day work of, of trying to get people, primarily you know, folks in church congregations, uh, interested in, in taking an active role uh, in community uplift, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, he comes to, to realize within, uh, you know, less than 18 months uh, that this sort of work is, is not terribly productive. Uh, yet at the same time, he's seeing the example of Harold Washington, uh, Chicago's mm -hmm. first black mayor, uh, an incredibly energetic, uh, outgoing, uh, spontaneously enthusiastic figure. Uh, and the upshot is that, that Barack uh, decides that he wants to pursue a political career uh, as an elected official, uh, not community organizing. Mm -hmm. So then he ultimately makes the decision to go to law school. Exactly. Um, Barack turns down a, a full-paid uh, scholarship at Northwestern Law School, a, a top 15 law school there in Chicago, uh, to go to Harvard. Uh, he's thinking very purposely uh, of, uh, you know, getting that Harvard law degree, uh, you know, as a, a resume uh, item. Uh, for pursuing a political career. Um, and when he arrives at Harvard in, in 1988, uh, really without exception, all of his classmates and professors uh, think from day one that this is a remarkable young man whom they'll all be reading about uh, years later. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge contrast uh, from three years earlier uh, because everyone who knew Barack in high school, during his college years, during the, the two years after college, he's kicking around New York before he goes to Chicago, everyone thought he was a perfectly nice guy, but no one thought he was in any way uh, uh, remarkable or memorable. So the transformation that takes place in Barack in Chicago, uh, 85, 88, before he, he leaves for Harvard, uh, that's the, the crux of, of, mm -hmm. of his story. And one thing I believe you say he learned in Chicago or learned as being a community organizer is the community organizers are trained to distance themselves from whatever problem they're working on. And this became 
uh, kind of Obama's uh, stock in trade. I think it's called compartmentalization, uh, that he was able to shut out other distractions, just work on one problem at a time. Exactly, Bob. Uh, The Saul Alinsky uh, Industrial Areas Foundation organizing tradition that that Barack was trained in uh, taught young organizers to absolutely separate uh, their workday professional lives uh, from their private lives. Uh, And that's a a principle that that Barack uh, uh, embraced uh, uh, very easily and indeed uh, very naturally. Um, You know, he's working uh, in a set of communities that still have a few white residents. Uh, Most of the the white residents had uh, decamped for the suburbs over the previous uh, 20 years. Uh, And it's Barack's first time uh, really being exposed uh, to a black community and and black culture. Uh, Before Chicago, uh, you know, he'd grown up in, in Hawaii, a few years in Indonesia, Um, His whole friendship network uh, during and after college uh, was mainly international students, uh, a whole set of Pakistani friends, uh, a guy from India, a guy from the south of France. Uh, Prior to Chicago, Barack hadn't really known uh, black Americans. Uh, But at the same time, he's working in a, a, a majority black setting, um, he's very quietly, very privately living in, in Hyde Park, uh, right by the University of Chicago campus, uh, with a young anthropology graduate student, um, Sheila Yeager, mm-hmm. uh, who's half Dutch, half Japanese. Uh, so there's a, a, a big separation between Barack's personal life uh, and his workday life. Mm-hmm. And I believe not his first uh, girlfriend, but uh, a longstanding relationship, and apparently... Uh, the p- participation of Ms. Yeager in your in your book is uh, kind of central. It's, impo- it's important to you, right? Oh, yes. Both Sheila and Barack's previous uh, girlfriend, Genevieve Cook, uh, the daughter of an Australian diplomat. Uh, Genevieve had, had graduated from Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, an elite liberal arts college. Uh, Genevieve was Barack's uh, first really serious relationship. Uh, He had wanted Genevieve to leave New York and accompany him to Chicago. Uh, She turned him down. Uh, He kept writing to her once he was in Chicago. Uh, His letters to her uh, that first year he's in Chicago are are phenomenally rich. Uh, Then he meets Sheila. Um, and they lived together for two years. Uh, they're involved with each other for five years, uh, 1986 to 1991. Uh, early in the relationship, they had talked very seriously about getting married, uh, but when Sheila took Barack home to meet her parents, uh, her parents were opposed uh, to the idea of marrying because they believed that uh, someone who was working as a community organizer, uh, you know, was did not have very good uh, job prospects as a uh, potential son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you're saying this went on through 91. Um, Barack Obama uh, marries Michelle Robinson in 92. So they, they kind of overlap, apparently. And I believe one of the cases you make is that Barack Obama made, made the decision that for, fur- for no other reason to further his career, it'd be better if he married an African-American woman. 
Barack and Michelle Robinson first met in the summer of 1989, uh, after Barack's first year of law school, when he's working in the the big corporate law firm in Chicago, where where Michelle had a, a job as a, a young lawyer. Um, they become serious, uh, you know, across the course of of the uh, following two years. Uh, they get engaged in in ni- 1991, uh, soon after. Barack and, and Sheila uh, saw the, the last of each other. Um, but living in uh, Chicago in, in the late 1980s uh, and thinking about a political career, um, Barack, like really everyone in black Chicago, was, was very much aware uh, that if a black elected official uh, had a white spouse, uh, that that was looked, uh, looked down upon. Uh, by a lot of, of uh, African-American voters, uh, you know, black nationalists, uh-huh. uh, so to speak. Um, State Senator Dick Newhouse, who represented Hyde Park at that time, uh, was uh, limited, uh, everyone believed, because he had a white wife. Uh, Carol Mosley Braun, a future U.S. senator, uh, had a white spouse. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, another Hyde Park politician. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, a natural conclusion uh, that if someone wanted to uh, move upwards in, in black Chicago politics, uh, he couldn't do it uh, married to someone who was uh, half Dutch, half Japanese. We're talking with David Garrow, who is author of the book Rising Star, a biography of Barack Obama, a rising star, the making of Barack Obama. Uh, back with uh, David Garrow in just a moment on the Historian's Podcast. We hope you'll consider a a contribution to keep the podcast in operation. We have a GoFundMe campaign to make it easy for you to do that. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash historians 2017, and you can make your donation online. If you'd rather not do it online, you could send a donation to me. Make the check out to Bob Cudmore. Uh, Send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, one two three zero two. On the Historians podcast today, we're speaking with uh, David Garrow, author of Rising Star: The Making of Barack Obama. We've got uh, Barack Obama maybe up to the uh, year uh, 1992 in our little recounting of the of the story, which is a big year for him. It's the year that he marries Michelle Robinson, and also. Uh, that is when he's now back in Chicago uh, for the second time. Uh, he's uh, teaching at the University of Chicago Law School. Barack returns to Chicago in 1991 uh, and makes a very purposeful decision to join a small progressive law firm uh, rather than go to the, the big corporate firm where he'd been working in the summers where he'd met Michelle. Uh, and the calculation was, was a very clear one. Uh, if he was at uh, this little firm uh, of uh, civil rights lawyers uh, who did a lot of voting rights cases, uh, he could you know, present himself a few years down the road as, quote, a, a civil rights lawyer. Uh, if instead he'd gone to Sidley Austin, uh, you, you couldn't uh, ever you know, dare call yourself a, a civil rights lawyer uh, having worked at Sidley. Um, he also, he and Michelle, uh, in advance of getting married, joined Trinity United Church of Christ, 
uh, Barack had become close to Trinity's pastor, uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, mm-hmm. uh, back in his community organizing uh, time, uh, you know, five years earlier, 1987-88. Um, and Barack also is recruited by the University of Chicago Law School uh, to take a part-time post there. Um, he starts teaching race and the law. Uh, he's a very popular uh, classroom teacher, uh, does an excellent job. Um, and Barack kept up that teaching role all the way forward for over a decade. Uh, and it's very impressive uh, uh, when one you know, speaks with former students. I uh, spoke with probably over 100 of his former students. Um, and irrespective of their own politics, uh, they thought he was a, a very open-minded, unbiased, uh, non-political uh, classroom teacher. Uh, in his day job at the law firm, uh, Barack frankly doesn't enjoy being a lawyer. Um, you know, he's doing that too as a, a resume uh, item, um, and he's looking forward uh, to getting into local politics. Uh, and when the prospect of an open uh, state senate seat uh, comes up in 1995, uh, that's his chance. Mm-hmm. So, and he gets elected to the state Senate and, and serves there for several years. Yes. Barack first uh, officially arrives in Springfield, uh, the Illinois state capitol, uh, in early 1997. Uh, his first six years there, uh, the state Senate is, is controlled by a, a Republican majority and by uh, extremely conservative uh, Republican leadership. Uh, you know, uh, significantly to the right of, of most of what uh, you'd find in Washington, D.C., uh, even today. Uh, but Barack is able to be relatively successful in Springfield, uh, both by building uh, good working relationships with conservative Republicans and by uh, building close uh, personal friendships uh, with conservative white Democrats from outside of, of Chicago. Um, for Barack, as a, an African-American politician from Chicago, uh, it was a, a big culture difference uh, between the city of Chicago and Springfield and, and all of what's called downstate Illinois, which really means all of Illinois outside Chicago mm-hmm. land. Uh, Democratic Senate leader Emil Jones, uh, who's an essential, crucial supporter of, of Barack uh, when he ends up running for the U.S. Senate. Uh, Senator Jones said to me, and it's a wonderful phrase, uh, that outside Chicago, there's this place called Illinois. <laughs> um, and beginning uh, summer of 1997, uh, Barack's top political aide, Dan Showman, who played a crucial, decisive role in in his rise in Illinois politics. Uh, Dan starts taking Barack around the state, uh, taking him way south uh, in Illinois uh, to counties whose uh, racial reputations uh, going back uh, to earlier decades were just atrocious. Uh, But Barack is so comfortable uh, you know, having been raised by, uh, you know, white grandparents from Kansas, uh, that he feels completely at ease uh, with all of these rural southern Illinois white folk, uh, because as he said a number of times, uh, they reminded him of his grandparents. Hmm. He uh, runs unsuccessfully for Congress, I think it was 2000? 
Yes, Barack's ambition uh, and his desire to get out of Springfield uh, led him to a humiliating defeat uh, in 2000, challenging incumbent uh, black congressman Bobby Rush, a, a former Black Panther leader, uh, in a very heavily African-American district. Um, Barack barely got 30% of the vote, uh, but he did extremely well in, in the portions of the district that were white majority. Uh, so even though he lost very badly, uh, among Chicago political observers, uh, there still was the belief that, that Barack uh, you know, could uh, be an attractive uh, Democratic candidate in a, in a bigger race, uh, if he didn't limit himself simply uh, to a, an African-American uh, congressional district. And the bigger race uh, uh, came to be his uh, election to the uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, in 2002, Barack makes the decision to try for the U.S. Senate. Um, his wife, Michelle, had been really openly opposed to his political career all along. Uh, she didn't really play any role in his campaigns whatsoever. Uh, this U.S. Senate bid was uh, very explicitly his, his last shot. Uh, but thanks to uh, Emil Jones, the, the Democratic leader uh, in the state Senate, uh, thanks to a, a network of black businessmen um, whom Barack had courted, uh, Barack starts out that race with solid African-American support. Uh, and his top uh, Democratic uh, competitors uh, underperform. Uh, the supposed favorite, um, Dan Hines, the state comptroller, uh, excellent uh, young elected official, uh, runs a, a, a really weak campaign. Uh, a multimillionaire uh, financier, Blair Hall, a progressive Democrat, uh, ends up uh, confronting uh, allegations uh, regarding a, a, a contentious divorce years earlier. Um, Barack is also able to, to make uh, great use uh, of a memorable TV ad uh, featuring Sheila Simon, uh, the daughter of, of uh, recently deceased uh, former U.S. Illinois Senator Paul Simon, an iconic figure in, in, in Illinois. Um, and so thanks to a, a lot of uh, uh, just repeated good luck, uh, Barack wins that uh, Democratic Senate primary in, in uh, a landslide. And he then speaks to the Democratic National Convention of that year, the year he gets elected to the U.S. Senate, uh, kind of becomes the darling of the Democratic Party. Yes. Um, Barack's keynote speech uh, at the summer 2004 uh, Democratic National Convention uh, really catapulted him to, to national attention for the first time, uh, and at a time when there were still uh, lots of people in Illinois who didn't know who he was, uh, weren't sure how to pronounce his name, uh, didn't know where he came from. Uh, and Barack is lucky again because the Republican nominee uh, in that race, Jack Ryan, an extremely attractive, successful young man, uh, he too runs afoul of, of contentious uh, of divorce issues uh, and steps aside. Uh, so Barack has a, a cakewalk uh, mm -hmm. in the general election 
uh, that sends him to Washington for the first time. Now, the book part of your book ends with his uh, election as president. You do have an epilogue taking a rather critical look at his presidency. But the one thing that I thought was quite remarkable, at, at some point in the production of this book, Barack Obama agrees to review the first 10 chapters, you know, everything except this epilogue, which maybe hadn't been written yet about his uh, presidency. Uh, and then you converse with him. It was an off-the-record conversation, uh, we're told. Uh, can you tell us anything about that whole experience? Oh, certainly. Um, last year, 2016, I spent a total of eight hours at the White House uh, with President Obama um, following the first conversation uh, in April 2016, he agreed to read the entire manuscript, uh, you know, in typescript, uh, which he did uh, July, August, uh, September uh, of last year. Um, and then we had two uh, further meetings in October and in, in early December, uh, three hours or so each, uh, nonstop, uh, very intense where we sat there at a small table and, and he paged through the manuscript and told me what he thought about this and what he thought about that. Um, but under the, you know, oddball rules of Washington, uh, you know, those conversations were off the record. So there's, there's nothing in the book that quotes him uh, from those. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, deeply appreciative that, you know, a sitting president uh, would take the time, you know, dozens of hours, uh, you know, to read, uh, you know, what's a, a long manuscript. Mm. And uh, again, he, uh, the, Barack Obama didn't see this uh, epilogue, a uh, critical look at his years in office, just about 50 pages in this thousand or over a thousand page book. Uh, and you end it by uh, writing that Barack had, quote, indeed willed himself into being as an African-American man, as a loving father, and as a successful politician. Eight years in the White House had revealed all too clearly that it's easy to forget who you once were if you've never really known who you are. Anything you want to add to that? Oh, certainly. Um, Barack Obama as president turned out to be dramatically different from whom he had been uh, years earlier in, in Illinois politics. Um, as a number of listeners may, may recall, um, at the beginning of his political career, uh, Barack enthusiastically endorsed gay marriage uh, before quickly backing off and uh, then sort of remaining on the sidelines until Joe Biden uh, sort of pushed the envelope uh, during the second uh, term of the Obama presidency. Uh, similarly, in, in his early years in Illinois, uh, Barack was a, a crusading opponent uh, of the role of, of big money in politics. Uh, it was really his top issue uh, down in Springfield. Uh, but come 2008, uh, Barack really uh, discarded uh, that uh, legacy entirely uh, to gain a, a financial advantage over uh, his Republican opponent, uh, John McCain. Uh, and again, uh, back in Illinois in the early 2000s, Barack had been a, a harshly outspoken critic of the, the U.S. Patriot Act, uh, the intelligence community, uh, government surveillance policies after 9-11. Uh, you know, but as we saw again and again during the Obama presidency, 
uh, you know, Barack as president really, you know, embraced uh, the intelligence agencies, the CIA, uh, indeed retained and, and promoted people like uh, John Brennan, who uh, had been involved in the, in the worst of the uh, torture practices during the Bush administration. Um, and, you know, many, many mm-hmm. Washington journalists uh, you know, mainstream, you know, Bob Schieffer of CBS News, uh, for one example, you know, uh, really thought that in, you know, virtually all respects in the national security uh, area, uh, the Obama presidency uh, ended up being a continuation uh, of, of the Bush years. And um, I'm sorry, Mr. Garrow, we're just about out of time. A quick answer. Uh, I mean, do you intend to write about the, uh, more extensively about the presidential years? Uh simply no, Bob. With this book, I think uh, I've been able to to do a tremendously original, uh, authoritative job uh, on Barack's years up through 2007. And I'm sorry, with that, we are just out of time. David Garrow, author of Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama, published by William Morrow. Thank you for joining us on the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.